Okay, so I was asked to read a poem that follows this theme. It is called The Fruit of the Spirit by Deborah Belka. Within each of us, the Holy Spirit lives, and his awesome power in our lives he wants to give. But we must feel the fire, the burning of desire, to call upon his strength so his might will acquire. Once we have received the supernatural gift, our souls will belong to him and will no longer drift. For he'll anchor us in his love, and all things will have peace. And his unexplainable joy in our life's will never cease. We'll have patience for everyone. To others will be kind. His gentleness and goodness will fill our hearts and minds. People will see that our faith is kind and full of justice. For our meekness will shine as they learn to trust us. Within each of us, the Holy Spirit lives. And all of his fruits, the Holy Spirit wants to give. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So that you do not so you do not do what is what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immortality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, I warned you, as I did before, that those who love like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passion desire. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceit-provoking and envying each other. Amen. I have a bit of a confession to make. Um, at the beginning, I stood up and said it was my first time here, which was a lie. Well, it wasn't a lie because I forgot I'd been here before, but uh, I was here for John and Laura's wedding. How many years ago? Six years, we'll remember. <laughs> I'm just checking, is it six? That's fine. Uh, so John and I used to share an office in sunny Linwood. Uh, unless you're a Proclaimers fan, then Linwood no longer exists. That's a little Proclaimers joke that no one got. Uh, this is a great way to start. I'm going to need some volunteers, though. Today, could you be my first volunteer, John? Sure. I would suggest you stand on one of the steps, so oh. we're more or less the same height. Otherwise... All right, okay. Uh, and you are going to be my Pepper Army okay. model. Uh, so here's a bit of trivia. Out of 100 grams of Pepper Army, how much of that is meat? 0 0.05. Is that what you're going for? Some other guesses. 50 grams, 1%, one gram out of 100 is meat. That's quite a big difference. 150, any more guesses? 30. I'm about to blow your mind. Out of 100 grams of Pepper Army, 151 grams is meat. That's 
It's not even possible, and yet it's true, it says on the back, yeah, doesn't it? Does. it? Yeah, made with 151 grams of pork per 100. How is that even possible? I'm going to leave that with you. <laughs> uh, some moisture is lost. Some right. moisture is lost. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, going to explain true. this, so it's a dried meat, so it starts with 151 grams. We're going to go into the science here. Uh, it starts with 151 grams, and because it's dried, yeah. it weighs less than when it started. Uh, I'm a bit like a pepperoni. Uh, this is the most random link to anything. But um, I was thinking about, when I go somewhere, I like to introduce myself, but I was thinking, uh, how would I define myself? Um, and then we played that game at the start uh, with people standing up and sitting down, and I thought I would let you guys ask me some questions so you can find out what you want to know. So I'm going to let five of you ask me a question about who I am, uh, but I'm going to ask you a question back. So, anyone got any questions? England. That's uh, made me instantly popular. Um, <laughs> Batman or Spider-Man? Batman. Good choice. Any other questions? Am I a Proclaimers fan? I guess, yeah. That's not very much commitment. A bit. Uh, my question for you, what shoe size are you? Four and a half. Good shoe size. Six. Six? <laughs> I'm just going to check with Laura. Six? Six. That's good. Uh, any other questions? You've got three more questions. Someone must have a question. You can ask anything you like. The most interesting place I've ever visited. Uh, my sister got married in Kenya this year, so I went to Kenya at Easter. Uh, so I took a wedding on uh, Golden Sandy Beach in Kenya. It's pretty incredible. Uh, my question for you then: uh, What's your favourite colour? Purple. Why? Purple. Purple. <laughs> uh, next question. Two more questions. How long have you had your beard? How long have I had my beard? Uh, I've had some kind of facial hair. Uh, I was going to say since I was 10. But that's exaggerating. Uh, since 17 or 18, I had big sides for a while. And then it's done different things. My wife hates it. Uh, we had a 10th wedding anniversary and she fully expected me to have shaved it off uh, for a wedding anniversary it didn't happen um, so I'm a bad man, that's what you've learned about me today uh, your question then is uh, what is your dream that was a huge question, where did that come from <laughs> what's your dream I don't know Oh, yeah. That's good. I'll let you off with that one. A final question. What's the funniest joke you know? Oh. Uh, now, the issue here is it's my favourite joke, but no one thinks it's funny, but I'm going to go for it anyway. So it's what's grey, howls at the moon, and is made of cement. So werewolf, because it's grey and it howls at the moon. Do you get it? What's grey howls at the moon and is made of cement? A werewolf, because it's grey and howls at the moon. Because it's grey, that's really bad. 
What's grey howls at the moon and is made of cement? A werewolf because it's grey and howls at the moon. Oh, what about the cement? I just threw that in to make it hard. And there's the joke. I might just go home. Um, your question is, what's your favourite joke? I don't know why did the blind man fall down the well. He couldn't see that well. I might go home, actually. Um, let's read the passage. I need to turn this on. There we go. No, Laura could have the next. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah, can you stay there? Could you shuffle along a bit? Bit more, bit more, bit more. Stay there. Stay. Good job. Uh, to me, that's fairly self-explanatory. Uh, John had asked me to come along and start, uh, start a new series that you guys are going to look at this year about the fruit of the Spirit. So I read that and went, I think we all know what all those words mean. Uh, so then it got me thinking, uh, what is happening when uh, Paul's talking about the fruit of the Spirit? So it made me think, what's going on in this book of Galatians? What... Uh, What's John trying to? What's Paul trying to get at when he uh, when he's writing this letter? Uh, but I think to understand what's happening in Galatians, we need to understand Abraham. Um, can I get the next slide, John? I need this is I need another volunteer, but I need someone who's trustworthy because uh, they're going to need to hold some scissors. So no one who's going to be flaky and start chucking scissors about. To he doesn't look trustworthy. We're going to pass this safely. No running. Hold it. If you stand here. Uh, how good does it feel to be in the in crowd? Um, some of you are still at school. Some of you remember being at school. Sometimes school seems so long ago. That uh, you can't imagine it. Some of you are so old that school wasn't even invented when you were alive. <laughs> uh, but Galatians really about being in the in crowd. But to understand what's going on in Galatians, we need to understand about Abraham and the in crowd. Um, so Abraham's this guy in the Old Testament, uh, and God makes a bit of uh, a deal with him. Um, and what happens is God says to him, we are going to make a covenant. Um, who here's a football fan? Anyone a football fan? A few of you. I'm an Arsenal fan, so I'm liking you already. I've never met you. I don't know you, but you're in an Arsenal top. I like you. Are you feeling the pain today? Yeah. I can use the clicker. I don't want to. Do I have to? Okay, I'm not going to just now. Um, 
where was I? Arsenal. Scissors. Uh, so contracts. You'll all be familiar with football contracts. So a contract says, uh, you're going to play for us. Uh, we're going to pay you money. Uh, as soon as you want to leave, you can leave. That's kind of how football contracts work. But uh, Abraham existed before football contracts and existed before paper and pens. Uh, so there was no way to write a contract. So the old, uh, the old Hebrew way of um, doing contracts was you cut some animals in half. This is a bit of an animal. This is very tenuous. Could you cut that in half for me? So the way a contract would work is you would cut an animal in half or a series of animals and you would lay them uh, each side facing each other and you and the other person uh, would walk down in between these and you would make uh, whatever commitment you're making to each other uh, and basically you're saying if I break this contract to you then let me end up like these animals. This was the symbolism that was going on. And Abraham encounters God and God says to him, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a contract with you. Uh, and my contract with you is, even though you've got no kids just now, even though you're an old man, even though your wife is too old to have kids, you are going to be the father of a nation. And Abraham's thinking, okay, I'm not quite sure about this. I'd like kids, but I'm too old. Uh, and God says, do you know what? You are going to be the father of a nation that blesses the whole earth. And to prove this, God says, what I'm going to do is get you to cut a series of animals in half, lay them out, uh, and Abraham and this uh, hovering flame, which is the presence of God here, they walk in between these animals. And God says to Abraham, um, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Have you got the scissors? Yeah. You're not holding them safely. Thank you. Can I keep my eyes on you? Uh, I've got this, how old is she? Seven-year-old daughter, and she often just walks up to me, does this. Um, you're, I'm going to be your God, and your symbol to me is circumcision. We're not going to do that. <laughs> if you just hold on to those scissors, everyone, it's all okay. Um, but this symbol of circumcision becomes so important for the Jewish people. It's a symbol you're in. Uh, if you don't know what circumcision is, uh, ask your mum and dad when you get home, and that will be a fun conversation. Uh, but it's this symbol. If, if you've got the mark of circumcision, you are in. If you don't, you're out. If you have it, you are one of God's people. You are in. And if you don't, you are out. So we're going to fast forward back to Galatians. I need another volunteer. My Arsenal friend, do you want to come join me? You're going to stand here. Um, today, uh, a sad day. Uh, Liverpool beat Arsenal 4-0 this afternoon. Um, what I'd like you to do, unlike Arsenal today, give me your best fighting stance. There's no fight in Arsenal whatsoever. You can go old school. Or new school. You just go like that. I'll do. Um, I am going to use my clicker. Oh, I've gone backwards. Paul and Peter square go. 
That's not a direct translation. That's my version of what's going on. Uh, it doesn't come to a physical fight, but Galatians uh, starts off this letter Paul's writing, and he tells the church there, uh, me and Peter had a big argument. You see, what's happened is uh, some folk were saying, yeah, all these, uh, all these non-Jews, all these Gentiles that are becoming Christians, uh, it's all good and well, and they're very welcome, but they need to be circumcised because that's, that's the symbol you're in. And if they've not been circumcised, they can't really be Christians. They can't really be God's people. Uh, and Paul and Peter have a bit of a verbal square go. And Paul says, no, that's not how it works. And he gives Peter a really hard time and says, you, you're an idiot. Again, my translation, not in the original Greek. But uh, Paul is saying to Peter, you've got this wrong, that these new converts to God's people don't need to be circumcised. That's no longer the symbol of being in. And he says something quite profound Oh, I'm going the wrong way again. It's basically saying, if Christ says you're in, then you're in. It's not about circumcision. It's not about the old ways of doing things. If Christ says you're in, then you're in. And Paul's really adamant on this point. It's not about circumcision. It's not about the law. It's not about the old traditions. It's about the grace of Jesus. And if Christ says you're in, then you're in. And Paul's really clear, it's not the grace of Jesus plus you do this and this and this. It's not Jesus and this and this and this. Paul says, no, no, no. I've maybe gone off the live stream. Shall I start again? No. Uh, Paul's quite clear, it is Jesus and nothing. If Christ says you're in, then you're in. Can I read some verses from Galatians? So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed, yourself, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Circumcision or no circumcision doesn't matter. Neither slave nor free doesn't matter. Nor is there male or female, doesn't matter, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. No longer is it circumcision that proves you're a seed of Abraham. Now it is Christ Jesus. It's now Christ and nothing. It's no longer circumcision, it's no longer the traditions, it's no longer the law is Christ and Christ alone. But then that leaves us this question, what do we do with the law? Um, what do we do with these customs and traditions, uh, these rules that have been passed down from generation to generation uh, that started back with Abraham and passed down, and we go through Moses, we go through King David. What do we do with all these laws? And this is the question. I need another volunteer. Someone who's seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Cool. Well, that's helpful. You've seen Guardians of the Galaxy, out you come. Uh, I need someone who can do an impression of Drax. Are you on it? Uh, for those who haven't seen it, this is Drax. 
Well done. That's pretty draxy. Well done. Uh, do you know what? I'm going to change you slightly. Could you make a mountain for me? I want you to imagine the sun's rising over that mountain. So do that. Uh, can you hold the pepper army up for me? And if you just do this. Uh, this is the YMCA. It's beautiful. That's all I wanted to do. I'm going to go home. Uh, can you give these guys a round of applause so they can sit there? <laughs> Guardians. That's where I was going. Uh, Paul says uh, the law was a bit like a guardian. Uh, they looked after you for a bit uh, until you got to a certain age and then you no longer needed a guardian. He says this. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, when Jesus came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his son's God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. So Paul is saying we needed the law. The law was good for God's people, uh, but it was there for a finite amount of time. It was there until Jesus came. It was there to bridge this gap, to show people how to live to remind them of when they're stepping outside of God's plans. That the law had a purpose, but for a finite amount of time, until the person of Jesus came. So Paul's big thing is freedom. It's what he writes about in Galatians. But he also understands, probably like most of us are thinking, with the laws finished and we're free, what... What does that mean? Can we just do whatever we want? Uh, And Paul addresses this in a few of his letters, uh, but he addresses it here. And he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So he sets up this new... uh, this new fighting pair of the flesh and the spirit. And where he's going with this is, uh, it's no longer about the law, but it's about living in the spirit. And he says, if you want to know what it's like, it's a bit obvious. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy. I'm going to turn around because it's bigger here. Uh, Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit... So that was the fruit of living in the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy... Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul is proposing that we live by the Spirit. And he's saying if we're doing that, this is what it looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is what it looks like when we are living by the Spirit. It's how we use our freedom. If we don't, if we live by the flesh, it looks like selfish ambition. It looks like fits of rage. It looks like debauchery and idolatry. But when we live by the Spirit, it looks like love. Our lives look like joy. They look like peace. Uh, They look like kindness. They look like gentleness. All of these different fruits of the Spirit. And I think sometimes when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm going to get you guys talking in a second, uh, sometimes when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, they are things that we try and achieve. Um, And what Paul is saying is when we are walking with the Spirit, when we're in tune with the Spirit, then these things flow out of us. But the reality is we need to cultivate these things as well. They are an outcome of walking with the Spirit. But we need to cultivate the Spirit's impact on our lives. So I'm going to get you guys just now. Turn to two or three people next to you. Um, and if we use the imagery of cultivating, um, of kind of a farmer doing his stuff on the farm, uh, what are the things we need to weed out of our lives? What are the things we need to sow into our lives if we want to walk with the Spirit? Does that make sense as a question? So I'm going to give you three, four minutes to talk about that in the two or three people next to you. What do we need to weed out of our lives and what do we need to sow into our lives to be walking with the Spirit? Go. If you draw your conversations to an end, that was a very quick few minutes. Uh, So I ask you two questions. What are the things we need to weed out of our lives? What are the things we need to sow into our lives? So the first question, what do we need to weed out of our lives? Anyone got anything they mentioned in their groups? Too much social media. Too much social media. We're streaming live on Facebook. (laughs) Stop watching me. (laughs) No, you can keep watching me. It's fine. Uh, No, stop. Good. Social media, what other things do we maybe need to weed out of our life to be walking in tune with the Spirit? Electronics. We're going a bit Amish over there. That's nice. I like it. Any other things? Electronics, uh, social media. Not giving into temptation. Not giving into temptation. So things that tempt us, we maybe need to weed out. Anything up on the balcony? Don't know why I'm doing this. Anything up on the balcony? What do we need to weed out of our lives? This is going to be really awkward, but I'm just going to stand here until they give me some Selfishness, thank you. I like you. Not as much as the Arsenal fan, unless you are an Arsenal fan. Are you an Arsenal fan? Okay. Selfish. Selfishness. We need to weed out selfishness. And what do we need to sow in to our lives? It's maybe an easier question. What do we need to sow into our lives to be in tune with the Spirit? Prayer. Prayer. Thank you, John. 
Spending more time in the Word? Forgiveness. Forgiveness, yeah. I'm going to keep dancing until you give me stuff. This is the, hmm? Spending time with God's people? Yeah, yeah. Faithfulness. Faithfulness, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So there's things we need to weed out and there's things we need to sow in. So it's all about walking with the Spirit. And when we do that, uh, the fruit of the Spirit uh, starts to flow out of us. So the plan is over the next few souls, you're going to look at the different fruits of the Spirit. Um, but just to get our minds engaged a bit, uh, here they are. Go back in your groups. Have we got time to do this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Another five minutes, pick one of them and tell me, what does that look like in practice? So what does it look like to have joy in our lives? Or what does it look like to have gentleness in our lives? Really practical. Um, If you said, oh, I see gentleness in them, what would that look like? Okay, so back in your groups, five minutes. What does that look like? And if you can draw your conversations to an end... Uh, I'm not going to ask for feedback because uh, I think telling stories like that might take a while, but I'm just going to finish telling you uh, a few stories uh, that I think some of these things look like. Um, kindness. What does that look like? Uh, there's an old uh, folk tale from Afghanistan uh, about this uh, leader from yesteryear uh, who led his tribe uh, and found a secret valley in Afghanistan. And uh, he told all the people, we must make sure no one else knows about this. Um, But one day, the enemies came into the valley. And he said, whoever has led the people in here, they must take uh, a thousand whips, a thousand lashes with a whip. So the word went out, and eventually the word came back to him. And he found out who had led them there. And his mother had gone to get water from a nearby river and had been spotted by a spy and brought back. So he was faced with this dilemma. Uh, Do I give my mother a hundred lashes? Or do I let her go? But he'd made this decree. So he had his mother brought up, tied to a pole and told she was going to get a hundred lashes and his men went and got the whips and stood before her and pulled the whip back and this man shouted stop he said I'll take her place And he had his mother untied and he stood there and he took a hundred lashes in her place. Sounds very Jesus-y. But to me that's what kindness looks like. There's a man called Mark Riley um, who is a barber in Aberdeen. I don't know him. Uh, I just found him on Google today. Uh, He's a barber, professional barber, but two days a month he uh, cuts the hair of homeless people in Aberdeen for free. To me... That's what kindness looks like. What does love look like? There is uh, a story from the early days of the church um, of a man called Focus. Um, 
who lived near the Black Sea. Um, and he was known for doing good in this village. But there's a decree, a decree from Rome that said uh, we must stop these Christians before they spread. So a group of men were sent out to kill him, find him and kill him. And they arrived at this place and said why they were there. Um, they arrived in the evening. Focus could see they uh, were tired. So he said, come in. He didn't mention who he was. He made them dinner. He uh, gave them a bed to sleep in. While they were sleeping, he went outside and he dug his own grave for them. In the morning, he told them who he was and they said, well, we can't kill you. You're too kind. He said, if you don't kill me, you will be in trouble. You will be killed. Said out of love, kill me. And they decapitated him, buried him in the grave that he had dug. That's a bit like what love looks like. We sang a hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, written by a guy called Horatio Spafford. Uh, he wrote this on a boat trip, or just after a boat trip. Uh, there was a big fire in Chicago. His business uh, was burnt to the ground. Uh, all his money, all his savings gone. Um, he, uh, he went on a boat. Sorry, his family went ahead of him, uh, and the boat went down, and he lost his family. He then was on the next boat, knowing this, and as he passed over that site, he started to write this hymn, It is well, it is well with my soul. To me, that's what joy looks like. It's not about happiness, but saying actually in the midst of everything, I see who God is. I'm going to finish just talking about peace. Maybe a weird place to finish, but uh, two years ago on the 1st of August, my mum died. Um, she'd had cancer for a few years. Uh, and there was um, a peacefulness about it all. That there wasn't a fear, there wasn't a anxiousness in the house that she knew she was dying. We knew she was dying and the house was filled with peace. I think because she'd lived a life walking with the Spirit. I think because she knew that that wasn't the end. I think she knew and trusted that when Jesus said she was in, she was in. And I'm going to stop there. Amen.